so I feel compelled to ask, anybody tired today? <laughs> We're talking about Sabbath rest. So uh, really, the bumper should have just been videos of yawns this morning, because I feel like most of the people I know are tired, are run ragged, are feeling like they are out of steam. And so I, th- this is the last of the first four commandments. If you remember, we talked before about how the, the first four deal with our relationship with God, and then the, the last six deal with our relationship with humankind. And so uh, after our break last week for our missions focus, we were back finishing that first four. This is the last one that, that deals with our relationship with God, and yet as, as they're going to get progressively more and more, I guess you could say practical or real life, man, I feel like this one really touches a nerve because I really feel like we are living at a pace that is unhealthy and unsustainable. And go figure, the God who loves us has offered us a solution in his word. So I encourage you, please, to grab your Bible. If you don't have one today, there is one underneath the seat in front of you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please keep that. Let that be our gift to you today. Uh, but we invite you to join with us in our tradition as we hold up our Bibles and say a creed together about what we believe this book is And then we will jump in together. So let's hold it up in the air and say this together. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, uh, page 57, if you're using the Bible uh, from the seat in front of you, Exodus chapter number 20. So this is the longest of the Ten Commandments. This one really is kind of just a commandment that's kind of short, but then it has like, I don't know, fine print or the explanation uh, that that's longer, makes it the longest commandment out of the list of ten. So what we'll do this morning, we're simply going to read through uh, these these handful of verses, and then we're going to go back through and go uh, kind of line by line through what we believe the Lord has for us today. Verse number eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and made it holy. There has been a, there's been a lot I've learned in, in studying for this talk that has, quite frankly, caught me a little bit off guard. I, I didn't think this one um, w- was going to confront me the way that it did. But we're going to begin just walking through it together. And so we look back again at verse number 8, and we see the first word, remember. This is a gift to us. This is a help for us because we all are prone to forgetfulness. And my favorite author says we all suffer from gospel amnesia. We tend in our flesh to forget the best things about God, the best things about what he has for us because of the noise of life, because maybe of junk in our life or maybe because of discouragement. Whatever the case may be, I don't know about you, but I'm prone to forget the truth that I I think my life is supposed to be built upon. Matter of fact, the truest truths are the ones I forget the quickest. And so there's this call to remember again and again in scriptures. We we see this call to remember because without it, we'll forget it. It's a gift to remember that that we have to remember to remember. Right. 
uh, next Sunday evening as, as we come together with just one service that evening, uh, which, by the way, we will still have regular church next Sunday morning. There will be two services. But then in the evening, we're all going to come together and there's going to be a bunch of baptisms and some other things. And But we're going to remember the body and blood of Jesus through communion. That Jesus instructed us to do this in remembrance of him because we knew he knew that we needed reminders. And so there's this idea to remember the Sabbath day. We'll talk more about just the concept of Sabbath in a minute. But first we'll jump to the end of the verse and we'll see that word holy. That we remember the Sabbath day and that we would make it holy. That we would honor it as holy. That we would keep it holy. Now holy is a word that if you haven't ever heard me talk about before, it's a word that simply means other different than, set apart from, but not set apart as in the same, set apart as in elevated, as in better, that that it's other, but in a better way. If you remember the analogy I used several years ago was ice cream, right? You've got briars, which is good, but then you have bluebell, which is holy, right? It's set apart. It's the same thing. It's just better. And in the same way, I think what this verse is, is, is encouraging us to do is look at the pace of our week. Does every single day in our week feel the same? Is the same level of intensity and gotta and obligation and rushing from one thing to the next, is it the same all seven days? If so, then I don't think we are Sabbathing. And I don't think that's a word either. But we're going to roll with it. I don't think we're doing the remembrance of Sabbath if every day feels just as much pressure and rushed as the day before. And i got to be honest, that's what I see in most of our lives. We are running from one thing to the next, and God has a better plan for us. All seven days aren't supposed to look the same. There's one that's supposed to be set apart, one that's supposed to be different. Verse number 9. We see here the instruction that for six days we're to labor. For six days we are to do all our work. For six days we're supposed to work hard. That's a holy thing. That's a God-given thing. And and I know you've heard this before. We, We have a very real enemy who seeks to corrupt every good gift from God. There's this idea in the story of Joseph where... At the end of the story, at the redemption arc of the story, where Joseph tells his brothers, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. And, 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 and we, we hear that language. Matter of fact, the, one of my favorite songs right now is a song called Sea of Victory, where, where it says in, in a prayer to God, what the enemy meant for evil, you turn for good. That, that God is, is at work taking the, the schemes of an enemy and turning them for good. But guess what? There's a flip side to that coin. There's a very real enemy who wants to take the good gifts of God and make them evil. And I believe he's, he's entered into this concept of Sabbath rest. And what he's done is try to pull us to two extremes. And we see both of those extremes in our culture today. One extreme of the idea of Sabbath rest is that we only Sabbath, right? Like the 40-year-old dude who's living in his mom's basement playing video games all day, Right? And what God would say is, okay, we've got Sabbath down. Can we go to work now? Right? Move out of your mama's basement. Right? And then there's the other extreme where we're workaholics. Where we're in captivity to performancism. That fear of missing out isn't a joke. 
that it really does control us and, and place undue burden on us. And either extreme is unhealthy. And what God says is, no, work hard for six days and then take a day off. We'll talk about that in a minute. And one of those days, we live in a culture that gives us two days off a week, right? Some of you do like those really long shifts and you get three days off a week, whatever. But one of those days isn't the running errands days. It's the catch your breath day. That we will do all of our work and then take a break. I feel compelled to say this because I think I think for some of us this is a real struggle. Notice that God's challenge to his people is do all your work. Not everybody else's. Do your work. Not anybody else's. And, and what I would say very lovingly is there are some of us in this room who feel like we have no margin to breathe because we're busy doing everybody else's job. And some of us are busy doing that work because we think if we accomplish something, we will finally find the praise that we want or the affirmation that we want or the identity that we want. The the Apostle Paul told the church at Colossae, he said, whatever you do, work with all your heart as for the Lord and not for man. That whatever we do, he told, he told the church at Corinth, that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So work hard for God, not for people. If we are trying hard to get somebody else's pleasure, we will work ourselves into an early grave. Some of us want so bad for somebody to tell us you're doing a good job that we're burning ourselves out chasing that affirmation. Be honest with you, I struggle with that. I, I struggle with, I want to prove that, that I'm working hard enough that I end up missing out on things that I think would be way healthier for me and for my family and some of my friends. Because there's this pressure to achieve this certain level of recognition from somebody else. And it's this horrible, toxic, moving target. But there's this, I, I feel a burden that there are, you know, there's the joke, right? People say preachers only work one day a week, right? That's the easiest job in the world. You just preach on Sunday mornings and then sleep in all week long. You're done. And here's the deal. I just want to lovingly say it's not funny. And it's not funny because, unfortunately, we've seen that be true in some cases, right? And so sometimes there's this pressure to, like, outrun that reputation or to outperform that. And that's called the fear of man. That's called working for men and not for the Lord. And here's the deal. I won't stand before any of your thrones one day. I'll only stand before one throne. And if what I did was for people or to get people to be pleased with me, it wasn't for the glory of God. And, and some of you just need to be set free from this obligation to meet somebody else's standard or somebody else's expectation or live up to somebody else's demands. God says, just do your work. Do your work, not anybody else's. And, and if we continue to do everybody else's, we're going to find ourselves back in slavery. Proverbs says the fear of man brings a snare. And remember, this isn't the, the deep echoing voice of God from the mountain, thou shalt Sabbath, right? 
This is the heart of a father who's already set his people free, who's gathered him together at the base of this mountain to say, here's what freedom looks like since you're out of slavery. And I believe what he's saying to his people is, don't go back into slavery working for somebody else. Because here's the thing about slavery. You're only doing somebody else's work. (laughs) And God's saying, no, you're set free now just to do what I have for you. And nothing else. You don't have to live up to some other standard. So we work hard. And then, here's the rest of the thought. The seventh day is the Sabbath. So work hard as for the Lord. And then take a day off. Take a nap. Chill out. Calm down. Stop running. Breathe. I believe the most holy thing you could do today is go home and take a nap. Amen. Listen, God wants you to chill. God wants you to breathe. Remember again, this is a loving father who just set his people free. When they were slaves, they had to work seven days a week. And God's like, hey, you're free. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. I've set you free. About a year ago, um, in my time with the Lord one morning, I just felt him telling me to be quiet, um, which isn't easy for me to just be quiet. And so I just kind of sat there in the presence of the Lord trying to listen and not talk. And, And I'll be honest with you, in a powerful way, I felt wash over me this message. You have nothing to prove. Jesus has already completed the work. He's already accomplished it. You have nothing to prove. That's not how this works. That's how religion works. (laughs) That's not how following Jesus works. Take a break. Catch your breath. I love this. Uh, Rich Wilkerson Jr. uh, said this, and Blake shared this with me this week. I thought it was so good. The fourth commandment, he said, is the only commandment that Christians walk into church and brag about breaking. Right? When I work nine to seven hundred hours this week, y'all pray for me. I'm tired, but I'm just working hard. Go me. Right? Like we brag about breaking this commandment. We don't do that about any other commandment. I have a prayer request. I'm really tired from all the adultery this week, so I'm just praying for strength to go adultery more next week. Great. Right? Yeah, I stole a lot last week, but I'm really going to rob a bank this week, so pray don't get caught at prayer requests. Nobody does that, right? I'm working up a big lie, but you won't know it when it comes. <laughs> like, we don't brag about any other lies. Like, I hit my, my thumb this week. I wouldn't believe how good I took God's name in vain. It echoed through the halls. Like, what? But we brag about, hey, I haven't taken a day off in 17 years. It, really? I can tell you just had your 10th heart attack. Like, We know. Take a break. You have nothing to prove. We do the work that God's placed before us, and then we got to slow down. Our pace is so unhealthy. The pace of our keeping up and got to run and got to do, and oh no, what if my kids don't do everything their friends do? They will live. Stay home. Stop. It's okay. We've got to catch our breath. Because God has placed into this this rhythm of life a message. And the message is, if you continue at this pace, you will blow up. 
So in most of our vehicles, we have a tachometer, right? So it's the little, little sticky thingy next to the other sticky thingy that tells us how fast we go. And that is the extent of my engineering knowledge. That is why I am not a mechanic. But I do know this. I know that there have been times I accidentally, instead of shifting it into drive, I put it in first gear and left it in first gear, right? And then I drove the way I drive, (laughs) which doesn't involve a lot of deceleration. And I've heard the engine go, (laughs) right? Like it started to cry. And I looked down at that thingy, and it was doing that. And I know this. I might not know much about cars, but when the letters go from white to red... I'm supposed to do something, right? But here's the thing about these warning gauges in our car. The people who built the car stuck them in there to warn us because they know the pace at which that engine can be run and it still function properly. And in the same way, our designer has placed into the rhythm of life saying, you're not above this. You can't run at this pace and at this speed without breathing, without resting, without connecting with me, without the engine blowing up. We all will eventually Sabbath. We will either do so willingly and joyfully or find ourselves flat on our back. And and we're paying the price as a culture, for just not paying attention, this is how the manufacturer made us. The fact that you need to chill isn't, isn't a sign that you're weak. It isn't a sign that you can't keep up with it all. It isn't a sign that you're not enough or that you're not a good enough mom that you can't go to every single party you get invited to. No, listen, God built into this thing a, a warning light that says, slow down. Unfortunately, There's not actually a meter on the dash of our souls. There's not actually a warning light that flashes in front of our eyes. It shows up in more subtle ways. Like all of a sudden our temper is much shorter and we're like, why did that make me so angry? Right? Because it's it's the seventh day. It might be like the 27th seventh day. (laughs) And we haven't taken a rest. The seventh day is to be a Sabbath. Maybe what shows up in us is, is a lot of anxiety when we don't observe the, uh, observe the Sabbath. Fear just overtakes us. Our mind races and we can't stop because we haven't stopped. Maybe grief comes flowing over us or a really critical spirit. Something's changed in my life in the last five years, ever since 2015. When I don't stop and breathe before God, I get really bad headaches now. The warning light on my dashboard is a migraine. Thank you, Lord. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I, I believe a lot of us are running on fumes and God has a better way. This command isn't about Him punishing us. And you think about this. I get God's role in all the other commands. Don't take my name in vain. Don't have gods before me. But this one's truly just for you. <laughs> take a break. <laughs> Once a day, just breathe. And connect with me. Just breathe and connect with me. If we keep up this pace, I'm afraid we're going to self-destruct as a culture. One of the most brilliant minds of the last generation, his name was Dallas Willard. I don't know how many books he wrote. He wrote a whole lot of books. Brilliant man. 
near the end of his life, somebody asked him, so what's the one sentence you would give me from all the things you've written, from all the things you've learned about the Christian life? What's the one nugget of truth you want to be your final legacy? And this is what he said. He said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Maybe it's because I was preparing for this sermon, but I had a moment two weeks ago where we were jumping in my truck and flying out of the driveway to go to the next thing. One of the boys had forgotten something and had to go back in the house because that's what we do. And I, and I was sitting there in such a hurry, and it just hit me. I don't know if this even makes sense to you, but what hit me was I hope my sons will do better at this than I am. I hope that somehow, even though they don't see it in me, they'll slow down and enjoy their moments. Because I feel like mine are just racing by. And part of the call, the Sabbath, is he doesn't want you to miss what he has for you because he knows his way is best. And he knows that left to our own, we will rush right past it. Whether we call it stress or heart attack or depression or ulcers or burnout or hospitalization or addiction, or escapism. We as a generation, we're really living like we're above this. We're the multitaskers, man. We, we can manage what no other civilization in history was above. We're above that. We can just keep the pedal to the metal. We'll figure it out. I'll rest when I'm dead. You ever heard somebody say that? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No offense. If you've ever said that, I'm sorry. The guy that made you, the God of gods, says, that's not how it works. He has rest for you right here and right now. And there's an enemy who wants to corrupt this, right? So he's, he's corrupting this by getting us to argue about what Sabbath looks like and what we're allowed to do. Um, if you want something that's church entertaining, I encourage you to do some research on the arguments historically about the Sabbath. It's fascinating. The things that the followers of God argued about, about the Sabbath. I mean, they had like full-on conferences, big formal meetings about, well, would this be breaking the Sabbath? Here's one of them. You ready? This is a true story. Like, it's documented. People took notes on this. This was the conversation. If your grandmother is walking across the field on the Sabbath... And she falls. Are you allowed to go help her up without violating the Sabbath? I like to call this grandma got run over by the Sabbath. Right? They had debates like for hours and days and weeks about whether we could pick up granny out of the field. And do you know what the the, the discussion was? Well, if she fell and is going to die... Before the Sabbath is over, then you can go help her up. If Granny's bleeding out, then we could go get her in the field. But if she'll live, true story, if she'll live by the time the Sabbath's over, just go throw a sheet over her and get her when the Sabbath's done. What? Like only religious people who don't understand how good God is could possibly get lost in this conversation like this. And the arguments we have today are more like, well, what's the Sabbath? Is it the last day of the week or the first day of the week, right? And here's the thing. The the biblical Sabbath is the last day of the week. It's Saturday. Well, then why are we here this morning? Why do we do church on Sunday? 
Because we believe something changed with Jesus. He rose from the dead on the first day of the week. We're the sons and daughters of the resurrection. So we celebrate our risen Savior on the first day of the week. That's what the church has done for 2,000 years. But if you really think church should be on Saturday, then go to church on Saturday. There's freedom in this. We're not under bondage to this anymore. All ten of the Ten Commandments were repeated in the New Testament, except for this one. This is the only one that was not repeated again in Christ. As a matter of fact, it's the one that Jesus ticked the most religious people off about. Like, I feel like Jesus was intentionally to be like, is it the Sabbath? Oh, let's go do some stuff. <laughs> I want to think Jesus talked that way, right? Go pluck an ear of corn for me. It's the Sabbath. And, and he would just do this stuff to make people mad. And what Jesus said about the Sabbath is he said, here's the thing. You weren't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for you. So if you work a job or your day off is Tuesday, then Sabbath on Tuesday. We're not under this burden anymore. We need to fight about this. This is a good gift from God that we would stop and that we would breathe. Let's talk about what that breathing should look like. And I believe it's answered in the next phrase. Not just a generic Sabbath, a Sabbath to Yahweh, our God. This is not just about checking out or vegging out. It's about connecting with the God of all gods. And here might be a reason why maybe our Sabbath isn't working the way we want it to. I think it's completely appropriate that, that believers would just chill would watch a football game or watch your favorite show or whatever. Go walk around an antique mall. I don't know. I'm trying to know my craft. Like whatever the thing is that you do. I don't know. Whatever that is. Bingo. I, like do whatever you do. I don't care. The question is, is that thing taking my whole Sabbath, number one? And question number two is, is it drawing me closer to the Lord? Like if the show or the movies that I watch on my Sabbath, if they defy all the rest of the Ten Commandments, that's probably not a Sabbath to the Lord your God. That's a Sabbath of the flesh. Right? Do y'all know that it matters what we bring into our minds and our hearts? When I was growing up, they talked about this like every single service. Every time I went to church, they're like, hey, what you bring in will affect you. So don't watch junk. But then they would start talking about like specific things. And I'm like, wait, but you said we could watch the other. And then it got off sideways. So let's not go sideways. What you watch and what you listen to influences your heart, either towards the Lord your God or from the Lord your God. That's still true, even if it's old school. Let, let me tell you something else about connecting with the Lord your God on the Sabbath day. We cannot connect with God apart from reading our Bible, praying, and attending church. So here's the deal. Growing up, I feel like that was kind of pushed as like the miracle drug, right? Like, I got laid off this week. Well, read your Bible, pray, and come to church, and your bills will be paid. Nobody ever actually said that. But it felt that way, right? Like, I have a brain tumor. Well, read your Bible, pray... And come church. I felt like that's what was said to everything. And I feel like it sent this false message that if you do those things, everything else falls in place. When quite frankly, life is more life than that, right? 
But I feel like we've swung the pendulum to this other extreme where we don't talk enough about that. And people come walking into my office and their life's a train wreck or they need wisdom and they have no idea where to go next. And I'm like, were well, you walking with the Lord? And they're like, well, no. I mean, I come to church once a month. Like, What's the deal? Listen, if, if we're truly going to connect with the living God, he's given us his word. He's given us access to his throne. And he's given us freedom to worship with his people. Like, this is where this starts, y'all. I'm just dumbfounded. I'm not being ugly. I'm I'm not trying to be mean. But, y'all, I just can't believe how few Christians I ask. Are you reading your Bible on a regular basis? The answer is no. Like, all 37 of my digital devices have the Bible app, but I don't really read it. And the crazy thing is, it will read it to you. Like, you don't even have to read it. We have more access to God's Word than any generation in the history of humankind. This is how we connect with our God. And He wants that for you. Maybe the reason we can't breathe is because we're suffocating on a lack of truth. Maybe we need to breathe in life from His Spirit, from His Word, and from a relationship with Him. So this isn't just about vegging. It's about connecting with God. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Not hope. (laughs) Know that I'm God. And if I'm God, I will be exalted among the nations. If I'm God, I will be exalted among the earth. Listen, He is God. And I've said this before. Years ago, I remember in my quiet time, I felt like God said, through conviction of the Holy Spirit, either be still and know that I'm God or stay busy and keep pretending like you are. If he really is God, I can take a day off. (laughs) Right? If he really is God and he will not allow his plans to be thwarted, he will be exalted. Then I can breathe. I can just slow down for a minute. If he's God, I don't have to pretend to be. A Sabbath to the Lord our God. And if we're connecting with Him, part of the way we connect with Him is by acting like Him. Right? One of the ways that I think we Sabbath well is by doing for someone else what they can't ever give us anything back for. What they can't ever give us anything in return for. Serving people. This morning, there are people who've leveraged part of their Sabbath to change dirty diapers. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Like, there are people who've said, part of my Sabbath today is I'm going to help run a small group for an elementary student to have a conversation about their faith. How awesome is that? Like, a a holy thing that we could do as a people is when we leave here today, go tell a nursery worker or a temple kids worker, thank you for giving up part of your Sabbath to do something for somebody who can't give you anything back. Because that's a way we connect with God. Sabbath doesn't mean do nothing. It means do the stuff that matters, the stuff that matters most within the heart of God, that reflects the heart of God. Okay, we're getting close to done. I know that it's late. Hang with me here. It is later than I thought it was, but hang with me here. Middle of verse 10. On it, the Sabbath, you shall do no, not do any work. We've talked a lot about that. But look who this is to, because this is bizarre to me. You 
your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock. Like, your animals aren't allowed to work. Like, those of you whose dog still pees in the house, like, they don't ever do what they're told, but you're not allowed to let them work. Like, what? Even your livestock and the sojourner within your gates, like people who aren't even from here, who don't even believe what you believe. And what this tells me is the Sabbath is meant to be a communal thing. It's meant to be a come together and let's breathe together kind of a thing. That The Sabbath isn't about isolation or retreat. It might actually be about taking the next step towards a real friendship. One of the most honorable Sabbath things you might could do today is go up to another family in this room and say, Hey, let's go to lunch. Hey, let's schedule a game night. Hey, let's go bowling. Not, not, let's go study the book of Revelation and talk about the seals that are broken. I don't even, like, no, like, just be normal people together. Build a relationship. Like, that's Sabbath. That's a beautiful thing. Today, we we have a four-day weekend here at Temple Christian School. There are multiple families among our Temple family who are vacationing together at different places. That's beautiful. Like, I think God intends that to be the case. It's a communal thing. When, when we Sabbath together, you know what we're doing? We're doing a dress rehearsal for eternal rest. <laughs> Let's close here. I want to talk about the rhythm of Sabbath, and then we'll be done. So God gives us the, the motivation or the reason or the glimpse of, of why we're supposed to do this. Go back to verse number 11. God describing himself. He says, in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And rested on the seventh day. He made it holy. That's why he's telling us to keep it holy, right? He didn't tell us to make it holy. He told us to keep it holy because he already made it holy. That, that's the pattern of how God created. But in the way that God created, there's a, there's a beautiful rhythm that I don't know if I've ever fully noticed before. I mentioned to you before, I, whenever I try to say the Ten Commandments from memory, I always get them out of order. I do the same thing with the days of creation. It drives me crazy. I always end up getting the days kind of mixed up. But I know what the first day is, because the first day is when God said, let there be light, Genesis 1-3. And there was light. And the reason I never forget that one is because I know day four is when God created what we call the light sources. (laughs) Day one, he created light, and then later he created light sources. That's awesome. Like, that's just incredible. That's not what we're going to focus on. In the creation of light, God created a separation to reveal something about what life is supposed to look like. He separated the light from the darkness. The light he called day and the darkness he called night. And then look at this language because this is crucial. This is hard for us to understand as Gentiles here. We're not Jewish people. That, that there was evening and then there was morning the first day. Throughout history, that's how Jewish people have observed the flow of a day. And by the way, many other religions around the world, major religions, believe that the day begins at evening. The day doesn't begin when the sun comes up. The day actually begins when the sun starts to go down. Because I believe in a God who wants to pour into our bucket before he sends us out to go pour it out. He wants us to withdraw, to connect, to rest, and to be filled with him. And yes, God did rest on the seventh day. 
but there was something before day one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and, and the earth, but before the beginning, there was God. God in eternal rest began to create and then returned to rest again. In the same way that he's, he's challenging you, listen, daily withdraw. Turn off the noise. Say no to something. And connect with me so that I can pour in. So that I can pour in what you can't fake, what you can't manufacture, what you can't manipulate, what you can't produce. So that tomorrow, you can go pour out. And here's the beauty of all this. Even though I believe God was eternally resting and then created, He didn't start off day one going, and God rested, and then God created. He waited until He created everything. He waited until... It was finished. And then he rested. Because if it's finished, we can all breathe. And just like I told you, every one of these commands, I believe, was pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. Because the last words he would utter on this earth before he laid down his life was, it is finished. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to earn. It's finished. So we can rest in Him.